the book of Genesis. By whose count? Yeah, by whose count? That's right. There's 50 if we go with our English Bibles. But we come up with another way of looking at it, which I think is the way Moses intended it, which is a prologue followed by 10 chapters. The problem with those 10 chapters is that they're not all the same length. <laughs> so, the prologue, of course, covers the, uh, the creation in six days, and then we have the history of the heavens and the earth to take us through the, uh, the fall in the Garden of Eden and followed by um, the first murder. Who, who committed the first murder? Cain. Cain did, yeah. And, and that introduced us to a theme that continues through the entire Bible. And that theme is the persecution of the righteous by wicked people. And that theme gets referred to even in the New Testament. Going, and the New Testament will refer back to, to Cain and Abel on, on more than one occasion. Okay. Um, then we did the chapter of the history of Adam's family, which was mainly just a bunch of, of names and ages. Um, the history of Noah. Now with the history of Noah, we were introduced to the idea that... Um, you can't just leave the world to get worse and worse. It, it gets to the point where the only thing to do is to wipe it out. And in fact, ever since then, God has been practicing the same thing on a, le- on a less global scale where He's been punishing nations. If nations get too bad, He, he wipes them out. And in fact... Abraham was promised ahead of time the land of Canaan because God knew he was going to have to wipe out the Canaanites. They were just getting too wicked. Um, at the end of the story of Noah, when he got off the ark, a new law was implemented, which is whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. In other words, human society is going to have to participate in restraining the wickedness of the wicked. And we, of course, have that still with us to this day. What? Oh yes, yeah. That was the institution of capital punishment. Yeah, when he says by man shall his blood be shed, he means killing the person. Yes. Um, then in um, our chapter ten, but Noah's, I mean Moses' chapter four, we had the history of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and mostly the land, the, the countries that they populated in the area that would affect God's people, uh, the Jews. Um, Then in uh, Moses chapter 5, the history of Shem's family, and we homed in on the the family that's eventually going to lead to the Messiah. By the way, when were we first introduced to the promise of the Messiah in the Bible? Genesis Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Then the history of Terah's family. Who was Terah? Abraham's father. So this is actually the history of Abraham when it says history of Terah's family. And several of these, it's it's interesting, when it it lists the person that's the history of, you're you're kind of at the end of that person's life and it really covers that person's son. With Abraham, we were introduced to another new theme, and that new theme is the theme of separation. 
that God is picking a family to be separate from all the other families of the world. And and, and in, in this morning's lesson, we're going to see that separation. We're going to see the need for that separation a whole lot more. But he, he separated Abraham. Abraham was first from what place? Yeah, Ur of the Chaldees. Um, and from there he went to Haran, and, and he, a lot of his relatives stayed behind Haran, and God called him all the way into, into Canaan. And um, then we did the history of Ishmael's family. Now, who was Ishmael? The son of Abraham. With, uh, yeah, Abraham. the first son by the servant, but not the son of promise. So we get rid of Ishmael first, and then we can get into the history of Isaac's family. And we're halfway through that, that history right now because the history of Isaac's family, of course, covers his, his sons. Uh, and we're into the history of Jacob. Now, I'll, before I go into that, though, I want to um, refresh us in, with some work with the map. Um, Now, this is a modern map, and I want to start with that because I, I'm never sure how much people understand where the where the maps are. We just, we we show a zoomed in area, and someone might say, "I have no idea where that is." But I would assume most people are familiar with this map since we've got Iraq and Iran on here, which are in the news all the time. Turkey up here, um, and then this is the title area. Today is Israel. At the time we're talking about, it's it's uh, it's the land of Canaan. So we will now zoom in with um, this is much the same area, um, but it's with the older nation boundaries. Um, Ur of the Chaldees is here, although I've read that it was actually on the on the sea back sea coast back then. The, the uh, these rivers have kind of silted up the area since then. But um, from that's where Abraham was born, or Abram, and he traveled first to Haran at God's command, and then stayed there for some years. Um, and then God called him from Haran, and he came down into this area, which is Canaan. Took one trip down to Egypt that we know of. Uh, the rest of the time was spent in this area here. Um, who was with him when he made that trip? Lot. Lot was, yeah. And he had to rescue Lot. In fact, I think he, it was pretty close up to Damascus when he had to go back to uh, rescue Lot when Lot got captured with all the other people in the city of Sodom. Um, then Abraham's son Isaac, where did he go to get a wife? He didn't go anywhere. <laughs> he didn't go anywhere. Abraham refused to let him go anywhere, but he sent his servant to where to get a wife? What was that? What, what town? Haran, that's right. He went back up here to Haran. That's where the servant took the ten camels up to Haran and picked the lady that watered his camels as well as giving him a drink. And that was uh, was Rebecca. So 
Now we're back down here. Rebecca and Isaac wait for how many years to have children? 20 years, yeah. Now this is, this is another theme that, that continues through a good part of the Bible. And that is this theme of children that are gifts of God. We, we saw that with Abraham and Sarah. They waited a long time to her. It was very obvious. Only God could do this. Then Rebecca and Isaac are doing this. It comes up again a number of times in, in, the, in the Bible, this theme that God is giving this child and it's very obvious. So, um, in this case, God gave two. And who were the two? Esau and Jacob. Yeah, both Esau and Jacob. Esau being the older. But the prophecy was that who would serve? The older would serve the younger. Older would serve the younger. And so in last week's lesson, we, we discussed how that was brought to pass. Um, and what means did God use to arrange the... <laughs> <laughs> didn't seem so much like God doing that work, did it? Um, in fact, um, Jacob did two different things to make sure that came to pass. What was the first thing he did? Took advantage of his brother's weakness. Yeah, his brother's hungry. I'll trade you one meal for the birthright. <laughs> he saw one for it. Then later, when Isaac was going to bless his oldest son, what does Jacob do? Yeah. He stole the blessings from Yeah, he, he lied about it. I mean he deceived his father. This is his mom's idea of course and, and uh, but but Jacob seemed to be of that character. He I don't think he minded going along. His his objections, if you read that story again, his objections were all just practical objections. He never said I don't think God would be very happy about me lying. It was never that. It was, well, what if my dad figures out that, uh, that I'm not who I say I am? Yeah, Tracy. Getting back to that first map you put up there, where are we in that first map? Um, not that one, the other one. I, I missed it. Okay. Now, Tracy, do you recognize this map? Have you seen this kind of thing on the news and, and all? Yeah. Okay. This is Iraq. Right around here is Ur of the Chaldees. Up there would be Haran. Here is Canaan. It's now called Israel. And we saw how Abraham had two sons. He had, he had more than that, but two that are primary. The others are just kind of mentioned casually, and they were later on. Um, and I just put dot, 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 because Ishmael's descendants don't really, they don't lead to the promised Messiah. And although Moses does devote a chapter of his book to Ishmael's descendants, a very short chapter, but it's a chapter, he does have descendants, they, and they, they progress. In fact, they become enemies of, of the true descendants. That's a big problem. It would have been would have been nicer for the real descendants if he never had Ishmael. 
But Moses gets him out of the way first. Then he goes over to Isaac. Isaac has two sons. And so, in, in the lesson we have for today, we had a whole chapter on Esau's descendants. And, but they don't go anywhere with regard to the promised seed. But they are important because they are also the enemies of God's people. <laughs> and from, you know, for hundreds of years after this, those people are going to be in opposition to the people of God. In fact, Esau, Esau's descendants formed a kingdom before Jacob's descendants did. And they were already in their land when uh, Jacob's descendants were wandering around in the desert and they, were, they, they asked for permission to go through their land and they were told, no, you can't come through. So that's, that's Esau's descendants. So we get to him out of the way. And then Jacob, last week we saw that Jacob had um, a lot of children because he had more than one wife. And we saw that he got back what he had given to his father. He'd given to his father deceit. And that's what he got from his future father-in-law. He had deceived his father, pretending to be the older one when he was actually the younger one. Laban deceived him, pretending that the older one was the younger one. <laughs> I suspect I Jacob got the point pretty clearly. This is obvious that God was giving him a rebuke. So he ended up with two wives, Leah and Rachel. Which one was his favorite? Rachel. But which one was the first? Leah. Leah, yeah. And you notice that in red here is Judah. The the son of the first of the first wife is the one who's going to be the one leading to the Messiah. But Joseph was his favorite son because that was the firstborn of the favorite wife. Where did these other two wives come from? And Yeah, they're doing the same thing that Sarah did up there with Abraham. Here, you can have some more sons with my handmaid. So, he he ended up with a lot of sons. How many total? Yeah, so we have the 12 sons of Jacob. And that will become the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob's name is in in this morning's lesson is changed uh, to Israel. Now, that... That's all review, and that brings us up to um, chapter 32. And in chapter 32 and 33, we're going to be introduced to another theme that's going to go throughout the Bible. Uh, And this is a theme that Jacob desperately needs to to learn. It's it's a major lesson. It's a lesson that we're, we're still having to learn today. Um, and I'll give you the hint to it. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's what this is going to be about. (laughs) Um, With Abraham, we were introduced to the concept of faith. God is looking for a person of faith. And in Genesis 15, we read that Abraham believed God and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Um, And... Each one of these sons, descendants, Isaac and then Jacob, each one is a person of faith. But none of them has a perfect faith. It's always incomplete in different ways. And Jacob's was incomplete in in the sense that he was always running ahead of God. 
I think Isaac was hanging hanging out behind God. But Jacob was running ahead of God. Um, Jacob knew that he was the one that was supposed to be blessed, not his older brother. But rather than waiting for God to deal with it, he runs ahead of God, lies to his dad, and and messes things up. And when he was dealing with his father-in-law, much of those dealings was on the basis of trickery. And it, it was so bad that when he left... He didn't even tell his father I was leaving. He tricked him. He ran off, and and his favorite wife stole uh, Laban's idols, which was another embarrassing issue. But now, as a result of all of Jacob's trickery, he's faced with a problem that he can't solve with trickery. And what is that problem? His brother. Yeah, he he was he was waiting until his mom would say, "Hey, it's safe to come back." And it's been about 20 years. And he hasn't gotten any word from his mom. We suspect his mom's dead by now. Can't prove that. But um, So he's worried about it. So he sends messengers to, to his brother. And what does he learn? Yeah. Esau's coming to meet you and he's got 400 armed men with him. Um, Jacob, of course, doesn't have nearly that many people. I mean, he... That's a huge army in, in terms of a, of a small tribe like what Jacob had. And perhaps for the first time in his life, Jacob is really, really faced with a problem that's way too big for him to handle with his wits. Now, he does the best he can. He, um, what does he do to try to appease Esau? Yeah, sends him present, and he carefully spaces them out. So one present, a little bit of time, another present. But we learn in chapter 33 that what is, he, what is Esau's view about the presents? Yeah, I don't need them. So that, that didn't solve the problem. What else did he do to try to solve the problem? Divide into groups. Now this is a really sad solution because what was, what was the advantage of having two groups? Yeah, one gets wiped out, then there'll be another one. How would you like to be having to? How would you like to solve problems in your family that way? Well, if half my family gets wiped out, maybe the other half will survive. That's what that's what he's up to, up against. That's like surviving a bear attack. If I can run faster than you, I don't have to run faster than a bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and you remember, this was Jacob's fall originally. He's the one that caused this. Because he wanted what he knew God wanted for him, but he wasn't willing to get it the way God wanted him to have it. By faith. Um, he showed his faith by wanting what, was, what God wanted for him. Esau did not even have that much faith. But his willingness to lie and trick got him into this bind. And now we have this very strange story at the end of chapter 32. What did Jacob do starting in verse 24? He wrestled with a man on that Yeah, wrestled with a man. Who's that man? Well, Jacob asked his name. And the man wouldn't give him his name. No. Well, at least he's the angel of God. But he does say, I have seen God face to face. So, And God did appear to people in those days in the form of an angel. Um, 
So, but he, interesting enough, he wouldn't tell him his name. This is this is a theme that it's a, a much more minor theme in the Old Testament. The theme that you're not ready for this yet, and and the reason for it is that we don't learn the name until the New Testament. God ultimately reveals Himself in Jesus, but this wasn't something that they, the people were to be told back then. But I want to spend a little bit more time on this matter of wrestling because in the end, after he wrestles all night and nobody's winning, what does this man do that he's wrestling with? Yeah, he touches Jacob's hip and puts it out of the socket. Now he's in big trouble. In fact, he limps after that. I don't know whether he limped for the rest of his life. He might well have. Um, it was pretty... It says that he did. Um... It does. I mean, it does. In verse 31, it says he was limping on his thigh, but I don't know what. I wouldn't be surprised if it did, but I don't, I don't see it there. Um, oh, okay. No, I was thinking about what it says this day that Yeah, they remembered that. So it was obviously a pretty serious thing. The fact they remembered it. Um, what did Jacob learn from that? He learned he was wrestling against the wrong person. Um, and all of his life, he thinks he's been helping God out, but he's been, in fact, wrestling against God, contending with God. And it's only when he's finally powerless, I mean, you can't keep wrestling when your hip's out of joint, that he learns the right way to deal with God. He asks for the blessing. And God gives him the blessing. And, and that really, this is a picture, it's kind of a parable that's acted out of Jacob's life. That all of his life he's been fighting against God and making matters worse. And finally when he's weak, he's in a position to accept the gift of God. And in the next chapter we find that God gives him what he's been asking for, peace with his brother. It wasn't anything he did. It was the gift of God. And from this time forward, I don't think there's a single time after this in the story when we find Jacob doing tricks to try to help God out. We find his sons doing it. They learned the lesson, unfortunately, because they're already grown up by the time Jacob learns the lesson. But we find him finally learning you've got to walk by faith. And that comes back to Paul's statement, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And Paul made that statement when he was talking about the thorn in the flesh that he asked God to remove. Um, and this is, this is a theme that's going to be repeated and it continues all the way to this day. It's still true that God gives us things like a dislocated hip when we need to learn that it's not by our strength, but by God's strength that we can live. Yeah, John. Uh, the story illustrates one characteristic of, of uh, the righteous people and that they value uh, the blessing of God, and the others do not. I mean, Esau sold the blessing. Right, and yeah. here, uh, Jacob, even after his hip has been dislocated, he still won't let go. Uh, he demands the blessing. That's right. There's his faith. Yeah. And he's had that faith from the beginning. It's just that he didn't have enough faith to think that God could give it to him without his help. And that's where our problem comes in so often. We don't. We just can't think that 
We can't see how God can do it. And if we can't see how God can do it, we think we've got to help Him out. So he meets Esau in chapter 33, and wow, it's just such, you know, he is, you can tell, he is so relieved. <laughs> um, and so then he settles, and we, we've got to get a map for this. Where does he end up settling in the next chapter? Well, um, that's it. That's still the same chapter. Succoth is a, a real short. I don't know that he, how long he stayed there, but um, uh, yeah, you're saying the same thing John's saying. Um, here is where he was crossing the Jaffic River. Uh, he'd come down this way, and he met Esau somewhere around that area. Then he settled in this area of Succoth for a, a little while. But in the next chapter, where does he move to? Yes, over here. Um, he moves to Shechem, which figures in later history quite a bit. In fact, um, I believe that was where Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Um, it, it was here that he bought a piece of land to put his tent on. And that was the only land he owned, except I think he inherited the, that grave at Machpelah as well. Um, but it's on that land that Joseph's bones will later be buried hundreds of years from now. And yes? Where was, where was um, on that map where um, Abraham bought the place where Sarah and Rebecca was buried? That was down near Hebron. I can't tell you exactly where, but in the area of Hebron was where he bought the cave of Machpelah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in chapter 34, he's living in this area of Shechem. There, there's, a, there's a little town there. Um, townspeople and all that. And what happens that shows the problem of intermingling with the people of the land. Goes she goes off to visit the, the women of the land and she ends up getting raped. And then the guy that rapes her wants to marry her, which later on in the book of, Mo, of in the Law of Moses was actually the requirement for someone that did that. Um, so I would say, well, alright, this is good. He's trying to make right what he's done wrong. I don't know whether he's repentant of what he did, but um, the problem they're going to run into is if they start intermarrying with these people, it's not going to be very long before they're not a separate people at all. They're going to start absorbing the character of the people of the land. And obviously the character of these people is not good at all. Um, not to, you know, even going beyond just the treatment of, of Dinah, they're idolaters. And, and we know that the people of Jacob's family are certainly strongly tempted toward idolatry since his favorite wife, Rachel, had stolen the idols when she left home. Um, but we end up with a very, very sad story where um, who were the two sons that came up with this trick? Simeon and Levi. Yeah, Simeon and Levi. Sons numbers two and three. And just a terrible, um, deceitful thing. They end up wiping out all the male population of Shechem. And Jacob's rebuke was, at this point, it was kind of, it, it's, to me it's not a very good rebuke because all he's saying is, um, we're going to be in trouble 
if when the people around here find out about this, they're going to attack us and we don't have enough people to defend ourselves. But in fact, he had greater objections to it than that. And we find it in, uh, in next week's lesson, you'll read when he's giving the blessing on his deathbed, that these two guys don't get a blessing because of this. That he, he, he just wasn't going to have a thing to do with that kind of behavior. But they had to move. They had to get out of there. And God used this opportunity in chapter 35 to remind Jacob of the promise he made that he would come back to Bethel and worship God. And so God says, okay, it's time to go back there. Bethel, what had happened at Bethel on the way up? Did he make us He had a dream. That's what I'm looking for. He had a dream. And then, yes, as Tracy said, he did. He set up a pillar and poured oil on it uh, to God. But the dream was the important thing. It was What was the dream about? Ladder or stairway. Yeah, a ladder or a stairway from earth up to heaven with what on it? Angels going up and down. Yeah, And that really is the picture of the whole Bible. How God is setting up the ladder to join heaven and earth. So, he... Uh, from Shechem, they traveled down to Bethel. What does Bethel mean? The name Bethel mean? Yeah, house of God. It means house of God. Um, and on the way, he, or shortly before they started, he commanded his household to do what? Get rid of your idols. Yeah, and he buried them yeah, underneath the big oak tree. Yeah, wouldn't archaeologists love to find that treasure trove, huh? <laughs> well, what to him was garbage was, would be <laughs> treasure to the archaeologists. I think he had the better ad- attitude about it. Although it's easy to bury idols, it's a lot harder thing to get them out of people's hearts. And that's a major challenge. Okay, um, we've already talked about chapter 36 and the, uh, the genealogy of Esau. And in chapter 37, uh, verse 2, these are the records of generations of Jacob. So that's a, another chapter in, this, in Moses' book. And the chapter is going to focus mostly on which of his sons? Yeah, Joseph. Is Joseph in the line to the Messiah? No, he's not. So why are we focusing on him? He does get the double portion, doesn't he? Uh, that you get to, for the firstborn. How did he get the double portion? Yeah, his two sons became tribes. None of the other sons got sons that were tribes. So there's no tribe of Joseph. There is a tribe of Ephraim, a tribe of Manasseh, which were his two sons. Yeah, Tracy. That's the story if the Israelites into Egypt, and they're going to be in Egypt. Exactly. That's why you're. That's right. The reason we're following Joseph now is because he's the one that's going to get them into Egypt. And it's, it's becoming more and more apparent that something's got to be done. What we're seeing at Shechem is that his family's starting to intermingle with the local population and his own sons are adopting the character of the people of the land. Terrible character. Um, Egypt's going to be a better place for them, although they don't know it. Egypt will be a better place for them because the Egyptians do not intermingle with shepherds. <laughs> so when they move into Egypt, they'll stay separate. And that's what God needs for, for them. 
in order for God to achieve His plan. That's what they've got to have. So, but God uses a very strange method to get the people down into Egypt. Hardship. Hardship. That's right. Here we come back to the same theme that God accomplishes His means through weakness of humans. And Joseph starts out, he doesn't seem weak at all. He's the favorite son of his father. His father, father provides him with this fancy coat to mark the fact that he's different from all of his brothers, which of course doesn't make him very popular. Um, and he, we could imagine he might have been a bit of, of a spoiled kid, although we don't see that in any of his behavior that he's spoiled. Um, some people object to his telling about his dreams. I don't know whether that, there was a problem with that or not. Um, but certainly it would have been a danger had he stayed in that favorite son position for very long. And God took him out of it by means of what? Yeah, by the jealousy of his brothers. And here we come back to this theme of the wicked, wicked persecuting the righteous. Although we didn't expect a person's own brothers to be the wicked in this case, especially since these are going to be the, the are going to make up the people of God. But they've got some things they have to learn. And interesting enough, God uses that same sin to change some of their characters too. We'll see that more in, in next week's uh, story. Um, but yeah, they um, they get so angry against Joseph that they finally want to kill him. And who saves Joseph's life from them killing him? Reuben. Reuben, yeah. By the way, we missed something about Reuben. Reuben had done something that wasn't so good. What was that? Yeah, he he committed adultery with his father's. I don't have the name on there anymore. But the father's concubine. <laughs> And that, that's going to come up again. That, that's going to cost him. He's the oldest, firstborn, but it's going to cost him the birthright. But he does save Joseph's life. What does he tell him to do instead of killing him? No, no, he tells him to throw him in a pit. Yeah, Let's not kill him. Just put him in this pit. Of course, he's going to die in this pit. But we're not the ones that killed him, right? <laughs> and of course, his plan was to rescue him later. But they... He apparently was off somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where he was, but off somewhere when the others got a new plan. Hey, and maybe they're feeling a little bad about the fact that this kid's going to starve to death in this pit. And you know, we can solve the problem without actually having to kill anybody. What were they going to do instead? Yeah, and it's just wow. It's so sad. All you know, these brothers actually just sell him from from. As far as they're concerned, for the rest of his life, he's going to be a slave. They'll never hear from him again. Never have to deal with him. Um, but hey, they didn't kill him. <laughs> of course, Jacob assumes he's dead because of their, of their deceit. Now, in chapter 38, where this is a very strange thing. Chapter 38 suddenly interrupts the story of Joseph. We're wondering, what's happening? You know, he sold, he's sold to Potiphar. Now what happens to him? Suddenly, we have this interruption for a whole chapter, which, is, which seems to have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with that story. But it's a very important issue because it shows just another example of the people of this family becoming more and more like the, the tribes that they're associating with. Judah marries a woman of the land, 
Canaanite woman has sons who are wicked. They're, they're terrible sons. God kills two of them because they're so bad. And then he's got this obligation to get a wife for his daughter-in-law who is now a, a widow. And they had this custom called Leviric marriage. Um, and so he's supposed to give the next son to her and, and he gave one son to her and that son got killed for his wickedness so he doesn't give the third son to her even though he's grown up and, and by rights he should so she being a person of the world she's just a Canaanite she works this trick where she pretends to be what? a prostitute yeah probably a temple prostitute I, I, that they worship idols sometimes that way and has sex with her father-in-law to have a child by and succeeds when the father-in-law finds out she's pregnant what does he want to do have her burn yeah um, I, I could say this is another theme in the Bible called hypocrisy <laughs> but I'm not sure that this is intended to introduce that but it, you know what he wasn't pregnant <laughs> Yeah, it just it's astonishing. And of course to this day, we we have much better eyesight when it comes to seeing other people's sins than we do when we when it comes comes looking ourselves. But when she proved who's who she'd had the sex with, he recognized he was rebuked. And she ended up having twins. Why are these twins important? Yeah, one of them is in the lineage of Jesus. Um, but I think the main reason the story is told here is because it's just showing the huge, huge danger. You cannot, God, you cannot leave this family in this land any longer. They're just going to become like everyone else. Um, so, chapter 39, we jump back to Joseph, and where is he by now? In Egypt. In, Egypt, in the house of who? Potiphar. Potiphar, who is the captain of the bodyguard. Uh, directly under Pharaoh. He's a very high officer. And I'm sure he has quite a few slaves. But um, Jake, Joseph, does he do a good job as a slave? Yeah, he does a great job. In fact, um, Potiphar sees that God's blessing everything he does. So, so Potiphar makes him the head of the uh, overall of his household. And then he's... Per, per, Presented with a terrible temptation. And what's that? Yeah, Potiphar's wife wants to go to bed with him. And although he does not have, Joseph does not have the law of Moses, he, does, he knows right and wrong, understands that it would be a terrible sin. A sin against his master, Potiphar. A sin against who else? And he specifically says that. Yeah. But she's determined, so she, when he finally runs off, rather than being trapped by her, she's mad and gets him in trouble and he gets put in prison. So he's in an even worse shape. I mean, here's this guy being faithful, trying to do what's right. First his brothers sell him as a slave. Then he gets put in prison. God is using the weak things to prepare this man. This is the, these are things that are necessary. He's going to, be, he's going to have... The second most powerful position in the whole world that day. He was not prepared for that 
when he's the favorite son of his father. He's got to learn some suffering. And, and, and apparently he didn't learn enough as a slave. He's still not prepared for it. So now he's a prisoner. And I don't know how many years he was in prison, but it was definitely years. This wasn't like, you know, serve so many years and you can get out on parole. Um, he was going to be there for the rest of his life. Um, but what happens when he's in prison? Again, the guy in charge of the prison sees that you know God's blessing everything this guy does, so he puts him in charge of all the prisoners. And in chapter 40, he's in charge of who? The baker. Yeah, the baker and the cupbearer. And they, they got in trouble with Pharaoh. And the reason that story's in there is because by Joseph interpreting their dreams, it becomes it eventually will come to Pharaoh's attention as a guy who can interpret dreams. And so their dreams come to pass just as Joseph interpreted. The baker, of course, wasn't too happy with his dream, but he probably knew it even before he told it to Joseph. And the cupbearer got out, but he says he didn't remember Joseph. He forgot him. Well, I mean, he's the chief cupbearer to Pharaoh, and this guy's just a, a slave. I mean, he's, just, he's a slave in, in jail. You know, why should he care about that? Well, human nature. But two years later, Pharaoh has two more dreams. And nobody else can interpret them, so the cupbearer remembers Joseph. They pull, they take Joseph out of the prison, and before he appears to Pharaoh, what what does he do? He, yeah, he he gets new clothes and he shaves, which is very Egyptian. Hebrews did not shave, but Egyptians shaved, and he he's going to appear before Pharaoh, so he shaves. I don't know how far back shaving goes, but it goes long. It's pretty early, and. So then he interprets the dream, and the dream says that what's coming up? Seven years of famine. Seven years of good years. Seven years of good Yeah. There's first seven years of good. And that's great. Then seven years of famine so bad you're going to forget the good. And now we've had seven many times before in the book of Genesis. What was the first seven in the book? Yeah, God rests on the seventh day. Yeah. And then with Noah, we had lots of sevens as well. Um, so seven years, God's going to send good for seven years and then famine for seven years. And Joseph's recommendation is what? Store up the good. Store up, yeah. Impose a tax. How big a tax? One fifth, yeah. Two tenths, which two tithes, and which I think Edersheim says that that actually becomes the law in Israel later on. You usually think of Israelites as tithing, but in fact, if you look carefully, you find that there's there's more than one tithe. You put two tithes together, you've got a fifth. Um, anyway, they paid a fifth during the good years. Who's going to miss a fifth when, when it's so good? And then it turns bad, and they got enough food he can sell to the people. But during those good years, what happens to Joseph? Yeah, Pharaoh gives him a, a, a very high class wife, and he has two sons. So he's things are turning around for him. Now next week we're going to see what happens to the brothers and how what they've been thinking about in all these years since it's been quite a few years. 
and we'll finish the book of Genesis that Joseph will get his brothers down and whole family down into Egypt and Jacob will bless the twelve sons before he dies and you'll see how he brings up these issues we've been talking about in this lesson any, any last thoughts? appreciate everyone's help